Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Patriots Report. My name is Christopher Price, the Boston Globe. I'm happy to be joined by a good friend, former Patriots linebacker Matt Chatham. Matt played for the Patriots and the Jets. He won three Super Bowls with New England. These days, you can see him talking about football on Nesson, see him and hear him talking about football on Nesson. And you can follow him on Twitter at Chatham58. Matt, let's jump right into it. What's your take on Mac Jones nine games into his rookie season? Uh, I think it's a little surprising how how well he's weathered uh, issues he's had. And I think that's probably the Alabama factor. I guess that's everyone's sort of educated guess with this, that if you put yourself or, or fortunate enough to be in a position in college where you're in, the closest thing to sort of a pseudo professional environment that you can get uh, while still taking classes between practices, anyhow, uh, <laughs> that there's got to be some sort of professional carryover, right? I mean, that's, that, that's as close as you can get. And I think you can see and smell that all over him, the way he conducts himself. And it's not just, you know, the prepared to know the plays and stuff like that. I, I think the amount of stress and the amount of sort of uh, competition that he, you know, faced on a daily basis, just on his own team, much less than the SEC, uh, the kind of sort of rigors that you're you're under when you're playing for Saban is, is going to feel a lot like Bill, I would imagine. Uh, and I just think, you know, that doesn't necessarily speak to ceiling and all that and where the player eventually goes. But, um, you know, there have been a lot of other players that have, you know, quarterbacks that have come out of Alabama that have not had the career that I think Mac's going, about to have. Uh, but what I think has been really cool is just watching the moments where he's had bumps, um, you know, bad interception. We can just go a week ago in, in in the Carolina game where it's undercut there by Gilmore on a on a, on a little sort of rub concept that I'm sure he saw in practice a hundred times. Uh, but it, what was more impressive is what happened right after. I mean, it wasn't as if you know you're seeing on the other sideline a guy in Sam Darnold who's seen many many more professional snaps than than Mac has thus far, and you could see a snowballing effect, which is very human, very normal that Sam uh, you know sort of had. When one thing goes wrong, it's really hard to reel it back in. I think that's really been the most impressive thing with Mac, where there have been issues, and that does happen um, in professional football. But uh, Mac has this knack for sort of weathering it and almost sort of sometimes coming up with his better play right after. The the thing for me about Mac is I, I think you raise a really good point, his ability to bounce back after difficult situations. In in his ability to not get too high, not get too low, make good decisions, it, it's clear that they, they don't want to put too much on his plate right now. But at what point do you kind of push that a little bit? I, I know that there's obviously all this talk about, you know, wanting to, to throw downfield, wanting him to open up the offense. But I think part of that is related back to the fact that the offensive line probably isn't where it needs to be right now, at least from a continuity perspective. But when do you kind of add more to his overall game plan. I imagine it's a scheme to scheme week to week type of thing, but but could we see one of those weeks show up on the radar screen sooner rather than later? Yeah, I mean it's an interesting question that I think sort of got answered to, to be perfectly honest with you in the first maybe I don't know, we're maybe five or six weeks in where there had been uh, you know, a stretch of three, four games there where I think there was a, you know, a an understanding of why things were operating as they were, were real heavy run stuff. And then Mac was, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, check down is necessarily the right word, but usually opting for the lower element in a concept, you know, if you've got sort of a three layered thing and he, he would quickly pull the earliest trigger. Right. Uh, I think part of that too is, is 
the coverage we see. Uh, and, and that's something that sometimes doesn't get answered, quite frankly, uh, when you're watching the TV copy. And I usually don't figure it out until Tuesday or Wednesday that, oh, okay, that's why they were doing that. Because I think a lot of times we have these conversations about what, what a quarterback should be given. Um, it's important to see what else was out there that he didn't take. And mm -hmm. that can tell you whether or not that call was actually there. Right. So when, you know, sometimes you'll see Mac go for a check down or go for a curl or go for something pre sticks or not choose the, the, the more vertical element, you kind of got to see what the coverage was. And, and if teams are simply going to top down and, and say, Hey, you know, go ahead and take those all day long and make you go 12 play drives as opposed to the shorter stuff with, with more chance taking, uh, it, it becomes a difficult conversation, I think, about, well, well, what call then would you have the coordinator call? Mm -hmm. if, 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 if it's ultimately, you know, there is a correct decision based upon what the defense does uh, as to which element you target in a concept. So say if there's like, you know, like an end cut at, at eight and a curl with the sticks and then some sort of vertical thing behind it. Like if he keeps hammering the inside part, it only becomes wrong if that wasn't the part that was open. Yeah. And so I, I guess you just kind of like that with a player like this, he, he doesn't put it into dangerous places too often. And when he does, it's really burned him and you feel them pull the reins back. I think that's the biggest thing. I, I would actually point to a lot of situations in that first month where he hit a part of a route that would prompt people, you know, and part of that's because of the way the screen cuts off on TV and you never you can't see anything going on behind like eight yards anyway in the route. <laughs> Uh, but they would say, gosh, why does Josh keep calling those kind of plays? You need to open it up for him. And then when you do open it up in the all 22, look, you see that those route concepts vertically were in the call. It's just, he's choosing the less conservative part of it. So I, I think that was a really long winded way to basically say that you may see uh, a different style just by virtue of him, maybe doing a better job of drawing people at other parts. If he wants the vertical, you know, sort of looking people off the shoulder and eyes and, pulling them into lower stuff or play action, allowing them to sort of draw them away from sort of vertical elements that he'd rather target. But it, I, it might actually come from the identical play calls <laughs> where you thought they were being conservative, where you could still hit something more aggressive. But again, there's also a time and a place. I think the Carolina game was a great example of that. Uh, you get up the multi-score, you get a defensive score. Uh, you're facing an offense that, you know, there's some curiosity of how are they going to move the ball and you get maybe three or four series to figure out, holy shit, they're going to really struggle. Right. So they're going to have a hard time going the long, hard way. And you've got, you know, eh, McCaffrey's back. What does that mean for them? The passing game has really struggled. They've got some issues. They've got some injuries of their own. And once you realize that, okay, this is chess and there's a, there's a game context and game script that you have to follow to make sure you win by a comfortable margin. I think a game like last week is like, okay, once they got the multi-score lead, once you sort of determine it's going to be a real fight that they're not up for on the other side of the ball, Mac, Mac pack it away for the week. It's, it's not a week to figure out what you're going to be 10 years from now. It's just a week <laughs> to win the game. So I think they're probably going to follow that, that formula really throughout the year. There may come a time and this Cleveland week might actually be one where, you know, hitting your head on the wall against a really good front four might not be the best way. Um, but again, I think it really is week to week as opposed to some sort of future goal for the kid. Last Mac related question from me as a former player, I wanted to get your take on what happened between him and Brian Burns this week, because it became a thing. I know all situations are different, but what was your reaction as a former player to what happened? And when you hear players talking about a quote unquote, supposed, you know, a supposed intent to injure. Yeah. Uh, so listen, I, you gotta be fair about this. And I think, uh, 
I, I actually wasn't even aware of the damn thing uh, until I was doing radio the next morning after the game and people were, you know, I missed it. I didn't miss it in game. I must not have been listening to the commentary thing on that and I didn't see it on Twitter and I was focused on 10 other things and I was doing a radio show the next morning <laughs> on Monday <laughs> and uh, they were asking me about it. I was like, what? I don't, I don't even know what the, what the heck you're talking about. Uh, but then, yeah, obviously when you go back and watch it, it was like, mm, yeah, it raises your eye. And I think the way that it has to fairly be looked at is if that was player X being tackled by player Y and, you know, not whose uniform it is. Cause I know that there would be sort of the, the impulse to, to assume the the best of Mac because he doesn't seem to have sort of this sort of like evil, dirty player bone in him. He just seems like an aw shucks Alabama quarterback. Right. So I don't, <laughs> you don't see some guy who's out there, you know, like in Dominican suit, like when Indomitian would do something like you, you'd seen him do 35 things prior. So you kind of assume the worth and the intent of what happens after that. Um, you, you know, in that situation, if, as a defensive player, just watching the quarterback do that, uh, you feel like there's something questionable or something a little bit eye-raising in there, but then you kind of understand the heat of the moment. That's just whatever. But I can't pretend that, that if, you know, I was a defensive player or a teammate of the guy that had it happen to, that I wouldn't be pissed about it. I would. Uh, but then I also had just sort of the I don't know, moment of clarity thing here midweek after seeing it and all the talk about it and realizing, guys, no matter what, no matter how mad you are about it or how much vengeance or retribution you'd like to get if you thought that that was bad, you can't. So it's just this league. Like, if you know, if this had happened when, you know, in the good old days <laughs> for the early 2000s, <laughs> like that's a million years ago. But yeah, if there had been some something, usually the quarterback wouldn't be the spot, but some guy who was doing something that you didn't love on tape, yeah, guys would, you know, target them or whatever the word would be for to just make sure that you make life extra hard on them. But the reality of it is, no matter what is said, you know, that I, I think the way it was phrased is sort of to the defensive end brotherhood or whatever, put it out there that they would all be hunting for him or something like that. All I can think is like, well, what are you going to do? <laughs> like, what, what could you what could you possibly do or get away with that that isn't going to get you a big in-game penalty that could swing the game, uh, a fine that you really don't want or a suspension that could cost you even more money? I mean, there's there's really no way to get some sort of pseudo player driven justice in the league right now. There just isn't. I mean, you, you can't touch them. So what is it that if you feel wrong, you can do other than advocate for that other person to get fined? That's about it. I mean, th- I mean, the notion of, you know, this sort of tough guy, guy brigade that's going to go get him is, is BS. And, you know, I, I like the idea of it. If I was on the other side of it, yeah, it gets everyone all fired up, but then the whistle blows and like, what can you do? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, my, my other thought was if this had happened in a Jets game, a Bills game, a Dolphins game where you knew you were going to see them later in the year, it's not like these two teams are, you know, headed on parallel tracks toward the Super Bowl for, you know, for just to, you know, kind of, kind of put that out there that, that these two teams are not going to meet up again anytime in the near future, as far as we can tell. Right. Yeah. And again, though, say if we're a Jets one or Bills or whatever, mm-hmm. um, what, what do you do? I mean, like all you can do is hit them really hard legally. And if you aren't, if you weren't already going to do that, didn't do it like right within the first stride, uh, which would be legal in the play, like, you know, on a pass play or something. Yeah. You're going to get flag fined or, or suspended. So I just don't, there's no room for that. Like I, I had those skirmishes with guys that I got to face the second time that I couldn't stand that I took stuff out on them. Yeah, of course. But uh, there was a lot of rope given <laughs> to get away with that stuff. <laughs> there's no rope anymore so it just it doesn't exist in our league so it, it just ultimately comes down to a lot of talk it's the entertainment component i guess of, yeah. of the league as we are now 
Yeah, and it's not like Miles Garrett this Sunday is going to say, "Aha, I'm going to right. avenge Brian Burns <laughs> and go, you know, go full on toward Mac Jones and knock him out of the game." And it was Sunday, just you know, that aside, Sunday feels like it has the potential to be a fun game. Two teams. Good yep. young talent on both sides of the ball, but both the Browns and the Patriots are part of that group of clubs at five and four who could also use some separation from the rest of the potential playoff pack, and they could get Ooh. it with a win on Sunday. Give me a few layers to this thing when we're talking about Patriots-Browns Sunday at Gillette Stadium. I, I think it, maybe I, I would imagine sort of your more in-depth into it sort of off-season aware Patriots fans were probably pretty aware uh relatively aware anyway of, of some of the other teams that are that are built a little like them or that are sort of respected for the way that the Patriots I think were at least coming into the season like as we were framing it anyway a lot of Nesson and their preseason talk and all that kind of stuff is like hey you got this team with a youngish quarterback a rookie in there and since Mayfield a few years and whatever but both teams that have I think consensus top five-ish offensive lines I mean obviously at the offseason talk we're not sure that Trent Brown was going to miss as much time as he has but Either way, the Browns' collection of, of, of uh, especially with the coaching staff that they have there, you know, Callahan and those guys on the offensive line, but also just with, with, with a lot of those guys. Batonio is like an odd, you know, is like a borderline going to be a Hall of Famer type guy. Treader's a RPA rep and like a really solid player. Go to both tackle spots. I mean, they're really, I think they're a crew that is really well respected in like nuts and bolts part corners of the NFL for their lines, right? Like just collectively appreciated, but also guy by guy uh, players and coaches uh, and, and front office type people look at both groups pretty favorably. So I think they're built a little bit the same that way. And, and I, I would imagine that, you know, from a cachet or at least name recognition stuff like that, like because of Chubb and even maybe Kareem Hunt a little bit, I know he's, he's, he's not going to be involved this weekend, but it was looked at as sort of a, that's how to do the top tandem back thing. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. and that, and the Patriots are sort of angling or edging towards that kind of thing. It wasn't necessarily, a, well, when we started, it was going to be a one, two with Sony Michelle, but you know, then things changed, <laughs> but it's still <laughs> sort of the stable of really good backs idea uh, at both places with really good offensive lines who really value um uh, run production and clock control and the, the 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 beauty of play action and all those kinds of things, particularly with quarterbacks, you're not expecting to go throw for three or three or 400 yards each week. So I think in that they're built very much the same and the play excellent defense, you know, the, the, the collection of talent, I think on both these sides is really high as far as their, you know, sort of uh, playmaker types. Like you, you've got, you know, your Garrett and Clowney types, but then you have your Judon and Barmore as the young guys and, back in help and you know we saw the the 99 yard return from ward last week for the browns i mean there's just there's playmaking and jc jackson is just one of the best ball hawks in the league like you, you literally have a lot of the the playmaking elements and sort of dominant personalities at, at individual spots really of both these two defenses so um they're they're I, I think they're very much similar to one another quite frankly and mayfield's not Mayfield does not have the strongest arm. Mayfield is not a scrambler necessarily. He is a playmaker, like keep plays alive kind of thing, but he's not take yeah. off and run for 30. I think Mac actually has a little bit of that in him, Chris, uh, but we haven't seen a ton of it. I yeah. mean, you're not going to see him take off and go, but he can he can reset pockets pretty well. Um, so anyway, I think there's more similarities and differences with these two teams, and uh, it'll be fun to go at it. But, you know, as I build all this up, and we don't know if Chubb's going to be able to, 
to get around uh, his COVID thing. Huge and X then, factor. Huge X factor on Sunday. Huge. And then, you know, the, the Patriots have their their top two recent backs, uh, both with uh, head injuries, trying to clear protocol. So all the stuff we're building up and talking about, I think, will ultimately come down to a, a Saturday uh piece of news usually that 24 hours out you get the you know the the adam or rap sheet or Garoppolo or one of those guys with some sort of note about who is expected or not expected to be to be active and i think in that last 24 hours we'll learn who's actually going to be lining it up against one another and that'll that'll really really tell the story but it, it could swing pretty dramatically for both of these teams i'm glad you bring up barmore's name and i wanted to ask you a couple of defensive questions specific to him and as we used to say back in the day on the radio i want to broad brush it here I know the physical comparisons here are tenuous at best, but I have a philosophy that Barmore is the guy that Bill was hoping for when he drafted Dominique Easley a few years back. Yeah, a little, but um, let's the see. The size Easley is completely had... different. I understand that. The yeah, size, you know, Barmore's yeah. a bigger, taller yep. guy, you know, and, and, yep. and easily smaller. But but that's the kind of guy that he wanted. Holds up against the run, gets some pressure, can play, you know, can play a few different spots along the line. Just seems to get it when you're talking about him in a Bill Belichick defense. I actually think Barmore reminds me a little of Chris Jones. Uh, the more okay. I walk, I mean, like that he could be that. Not that he mm-hmm. is yet, but but because he's he's like a a big disruptor yeah and uh, e- easily to me is more like what i think Aaron Donald has become like yeah. that easily easily was going to be that like wow he is just really strong although not large wow mm-hmm. he's a great first step guy the you know Warren Sapp stuff of old and he's so disruptive in the backfield man that poor guy's just lower body broke down he had tears left and right multiple legs so just it sucked for him that he couldn't keep that together but I think Barmore can provide one element of that, but what's different about those types is that they're also much more sturdy on direct run. They're, they're not running through a gap and around a gap and disrupting behind the ball. They can just hold up. So that makes you more of a three down guy. Now, granted, Barmore has been rolling here at, uh, I think, uh, I think the most recent playtime percentage is starting to sneak towards 50, I believe, but yeah. he'd been cruising in the high teens and then mid twenties. And it seemed to just add a few plays a week kind of stuff. And his role just continues to grow. But I still say, you know, this is well. Shoot, we just went through this with Richard, right? Richard Seymour was yeah. uh, is is a is a red jacket who's going to be a gold jacket who was one of those dominant humans I've ever been around on a football field. He's just an absolute stud. But uh, Richard's first season in one with us, uh, you know, he had kind of a a role that grew, you know, but they kind of didn't know exactly what to do with him. But in yeah. year one, you could see sort of the tip of the iceberg. Uh, I think Barmer's probably kind of like that. I mean, Richard played nose in a three, four for a while in that, in that Super Bowl. It was, I believe it was Brandon Mitchell at one side and Bobby at the other and under no circumstances going forward the rest of you, where you're going to put Richard, Richard, uh, because he's not going to play your nose. I mean, he's a, he's the, he's the prototypical end, but you can kind of just do what needed to be done on that particular team. And I I think Barmore is kind of in that spot now because you have God is much more like your prototypical nose in a three, four, Lawrence guy is still there and he is so productive and he's so good and he holds up so well that, you know, that's the kind of guy that if Barmore is a full-time all go all, all, you know, all groupings kind of deal, it's probably because Lawrence has gotten older and isn't in that role anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the, at the present moment, you know, you're trying to figure out how to fit this guy in, in a, in a really uh, crowded and, and, and talented room. Even Carl Davis is sort of this other big that had, been sort of a curiosity a season ago has really looked good 
So I think it's a little like that for, for how Richard's first year, he's a new guy. You can see the talent is off the charts. Mm-hmm. You're learning as he goes, you give him a little bit more week to week, but you should be in, incredibly enthused about what, what you have down the road. And that's, that's kind of how you take it with Bill's comments when he's like, we keep giving him a little more and a little more. And we've been pleased with what he's able to take on and how hard he works. And to me, that actually kind of sounds a little bit like Richard. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. And I'm, I'm glad you bring up the, the bar, the, Bill's comments on on Barmore because I was struck by the fact that then you know we've been around a long time I, I very rarely hear him lavish that level of praise on on a young player and I wanted to get your take on that then I also wanted to get your take on the idea that and you brought this up a couple of times is disruptive the best adjective you can use for a perfect Bill Belichick defender he disruptive if you have a if you have a combination of disruptive and versatility so yeah. I, I think one of the things that has so on the Bormore thing first, as far as there's so many different ways to disrupt. I mean, you can disrupt by knocking, like knocking the guy over you, like literally getting in like a zero or a two get, head up to whoever it is in front of you and mm-hmm. putting them in the backfield. Like that's that's just raw strength, brute brute stuff. But there's also quickness off the ball, getting in gaps, how well you recognize scheme quickly, you know, how good you are the first step, how how smart and in the correct direction that first stride or two is. You can completely blow up schemes with sort of your reaction time, and a lot of that's innate and comes with reps too. But um, you can disrupt the play by just being really good at football, <laughs> you know, like yeah. feeling feeling power happening real quickly, a, a power scheme, or feeling uh, their attempt to trap you or wham you or whatever it is. Some guys will just feel it rather than see it, and a lot of times people have to get hit in the side of the head with that block twenty five times before they realize, okay, oh there's a <laughs> there's a way to read this happening before the snap. <laughs> But some guys just are, are so strong and so powerful and so quick or just so innate and in, in sort of an attacking downfield manner that they can play through those. And, and, and he seems to be kind of that rare guy. The other thing with, with Barmore that I love, and it, I actually I think I made this analogy back in preseason when we were getting to watch him a little bit, especially when they were doing like two-man games in camp and stuff. Um, and it reminds me of Richard because I'm always, you know, from our time on the radio, Chris, I would always – I think I'm pretty pretty realistic about who I was as a player, and I, I was a dog shit pass rusher. I, I can't pass rush, so, like I just I can't. I, I don't. I got real stiff hips. I don't turn the corner well. I tackle well in space, and uh, there's a lot of things I do well setting edges and stuff. But I'm a poor pass rusher. I really am. So, uh, but in in the beauty of two man games uh, is when you get to work with someone else. It, it's sort of that when you'll see a. I don't, you, Fans wouldn't need to know the names of them, but just the idea that so like say a defensive ends alongside a defensive tackle. And in our day, I would as the backup on the left or right side, I'd get to go with Richard from time to time. And if you get if Richard is your partner in the game and he's going to go take that gap between the guard and center, basically take both blockers with him. I get to fold right underneath him as if I'm you know, now, uh, you know, Lawrence Taylor, but, not. but all, all of a sudden you look and feel like hey, I'm Derek Thomas. Look at me. I'm a fast rep, Right. And it's and part of it is just how dominant they are. You can almost hide behind them. You can almost sort of use their, the concern that the guy in front of you that's supposed to block you has for that guy takes pressure off of you, makes your job yeah. easier, whatever it may be. And, yeah. and Barmer has that, like he just, you know, like if you're sitting there in a, defensive line drill and you're you're getting ready to go and you know you're 
pairing off. I mean, it's like, he's the guy you'd pick. <laughs> he's the guy I want to do my game with, you know, that kind of thing. And that's, that's kind of what it was always fun with Richard. It's like, Oh, Chatham's really improved his pass rush this offseason. No, he hasn't. He's just picking better. <laughs> he gets to go with. <laughs> so like that's that. But anyway, I, I just, I see a lot of that in him. So you may actually see more games where guys get free and it's, it's far more doing his job of absorbing attack with taking the guard with them, getting people to open the gate, turn their hips and all that kind of stuff. Um, but when I said the versatility part, as well as the, sort of disruption part that that takes me to Matt Judon and I think Matt is a perfect example I, I tweeted out something about this last game in game um, where there was some sort of motion across and I believe it was from two tight ends together why why or something sort of initiated a little pre-snap movement and you could tell that Matt knew what it was because he just yells something at either the tackle next to him or the linebackers but points it's basically he's calling out the motion knows what comes after that. And it was sort of like a little boot action and he was not rushing because I know we've kind of, you know, you, you always, I guess, uh, attribute him or consider him this just great pass rusher. He is just because he's got a lot of those kind of disruptive plays, but he also completely destroyed this play uh, as a, as a dropper. Like he, yeah. he, he yells out what's coming. Others are sort of a, alerted to it pre-snap. You can see the whole group kind of react to it because Matt sees it. And then Matt's just jogging alongside this tight end that's supposed to be a little head and element that pops out of this uh, play action. And it was just like, whoa, holy crap, really smart football play. Like, that's the recognition part. So, I, I, I mean, I know looking at Judon's season, you know, people will rightfully point for all the, you know, behind the ball, behind the line of scrimmage plays he's had. But you can find 10 or 15 plays of really good high-end Pro Bowl-worthy stuff that he's done off the ball, too that doesn't get as much Harold. Um, so, and they've, there's been games, I think the, uh, the Bucks game was one example where he wasn't just full bore, you know, cross the line or rush 45 exactly. times kind of thing. Yeah. He, was, yeah. he was all over the damn field. And I think that's really what makes him so valuable, not just the, the sack stuff. Two things on Judon. And I wanted to get your take before we start to kind of wrap up here. First off, uh, he he strikes me as a guy who it feels like he's been here for years instead of months. He 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 just seems to have seamlessly made that transition from Baltimore to New England, both on and off the field. The way he talks, the way he carries himself, the way he's been able to produce in a Bill Belichick defense. And then the second thing was I was having a conversation with Mike DeVito and to kind of piggyback on the Barmore uh, talk that that he said he became a better player and to kind of echo what you said when he had the chance to line up alongside great players and I'm wondering how much Barmore is benefiting this year not to say he's not you know made great strides as a rookie but how much is Barmore benefiting from lining up next to a guy like Matthew Judon on a regular basis I mean it, it can't hurt I, I think <laughs> <laughs> I just I think that that's kind of like the 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 dirty little secret. Uh, dirty is probably the wrong word, but it's a little secret of, of of real success in the NFL. It's that you can really the really smart ones, the guys that really get it, are going to embrace and figure out who's really good around you and how that can sort of help the you know the tides rising all ships or whatever that whatever that saying is, because that's that's kind of how it, it's a game with eleven pieces, right? And going out and just murdering your one. You know, if you're not at the, if you're not really in in the action, that's not really the whole story. And mm -hmm. I think what 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 the really smart players do is they they kind of they really engage with everyone around them. Like Rodney Harrison was, you know, is, is down talking to the D linemen about what they're seeing, and you know, because he wants to know where his fit's going to be, and yeah. he wants to make sure it's clean in front of him. And I, I the guys that really 
see what all 11 are doing, understand the whole scheme. Those are the guys that really fit in. And Judon comes from, you know, all his, his, uh, his first swing in the league is he was down there kicking ass in Baltimore. And Baltimore is different. I know there's some, uh, I don't know, animosity or whatever, a little bit. I mean, maybe more between fan bases than necessarily the front offices. But it, it's it's certainly a competitive environment between the two places. But I also think there's a lot of similarity. Yeah. I, I mean, I think yes. there's – it's a yeah. you know what I mean? It's It's – so you're going to come out of there really, really ensconced in all that football is about and how to be good at it, how to work and how to, how to win. And uh, that's that the, there's enough of that where, and I won't even name another place, but you could, you could probably do it too, Chris, name 20 other places where that's not necessarily going to be the case. Yeah. Um, and he's just happened to have come from one of those places. And he was a leader on and a leader, a leader at a kind of place like that. So, Lawrence referenced it. Lawrence guy referenced it anyway. He's like, I just can't wait to get in here and work with him because I saw what he was like when he was young. And you just kind of knew what you were going to get. Yeah. And guys, and it's a guy that gets it, you know, which is, is maybe sounds kind of trite to a fan, but it's kind of hard to explain. <laughs> to be honest, like, no, but, but, but he it. just, he just seemed it, again, like I said, the, the best way I can explain it, he, it just feels like he's been here for years as opposed to months. I feel the same way about Adrian Phillips, for example. Right. There you go. Phillips is such a great, great catch there too. Uh, And I'm a hundred percent guilty of this. Uh, You know, as just a analyst now watching and following the team and trying to comment on them. I I will go through these bouts where I start, I think about who's the defensive line. I think about who's the linebacker level. And I think about the back end and I often don't mention Phillips because I don't really know which he is. Mm-hmm. And then he goes out and has a game like a couple of weeks ago where he's one of the most dominant defenders out there. And it's like, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll run through, oh, my gosh, they've got, like we said, the Judon and Barmore now, and Gacha has been added into this. Lawrence is still playing at a high level. And so good to have Dietrich back. And Uche is this up-and-coming guy. I mean, ah, let's talk about the linebackers. And he's going to Hightower. Oh, great. So great that Ben Noy's back. And Bentley's having this resurgent year. And, yeah. oh, yeah, you know, like you just – it's so easy to run through all three levels and never mention them. And then when you, the game gets going, like, oh, yeah, Adrian Phillips really good. <laughs> like, but, but, it's, but it's not – he just – for something, I don't know, maybe it's his personality is relatively quiet. He doesn't have, like, a big sort of off-field persona, I guess. But he's one of those players that's like, wow, what a great get that yeah. wasn't, you know, highly heralded kind of thing. And he just does a little something each week that that it's super helpful and super important. He fills holes in schemes or allows you to do stuff in scheme that if you didn't have a guy like that, you couldn't do. So, man, he's he was he's an awesome player. And I, I really respect him in part just watching him as a former player a year ago uh, where he was actually, I think, less successful, but it was – and what they were having him do, but they were having him do stuff out of necessity because they were super thin at linebacker. And you've got this, I don't know, he's probably lawyer Malloy's size. I mean, he's not, this is not like a true blue linebacker body, yep. but I was trying to think of guys from sort of my era. Like if you literally asked lawyer, maybe not Rodney, Rodney might even been a little bigger, but like a, a true blue strong safety body, just, Hey, come down and s- play 45 snaps in the box, like, yeah. and take on guards every, like, what? Like, I can't, <laughs> it's hard to even imagine that. And you'd go back and watch and he's not winning every rep, but the ones that he's winning are just really impressive. Like he's, and he's, he's aggressive into the line. It's like, he, he doesn't know his body is the size that it is. It's just really, <laughs> it's really cool to watch. Now, granted, I don't think it necessarily put him in the best position to be successful each and every week. He just had to do it because of what was going on. And now you're really seeing the guy that gets worked into those spots sometimes. And then sometimes is, other, is more safety-esque, but still box 
adjacent, I guess. Uh, but that's really where he's at his best. But I gained like a huge deepest bow at the hips kind of thing, respect for him last year, seeing him have to do that and not, not just getting swallowed. Like, like there's really something there to that guy. And that's, that's super impressive for anyone who's ever had to hit a, a 320 pound man, like, like I would at, at 250 or 255 and then seeing, well, gosh, what would that feel like if I was 230 <laughs> you know, like, and, and it's, it's it's pretty impressive all i can say the the highest compliment i can pay any defensive player is that he would fit right in on the 2003 patriots smart well, tough <laughs> physical just always seems to be in the right position always seems to be in the right spot always seems to be doing the right thing regardless of the situation right there you go uh, this is the last one for me, man. Uh, who wins on Sunday and why? I know we're sitting here. It's Thursday morning, and so we're a few days away, and there's still, as we mentioned before, a few X factors going into this game, particularly the running back spot for both teams. But who do you like on Sunday? I feel like it's one of those games that uh, it, it feels like a little bit of a cop-out, but I, I think that would massively swing things if, say, Chubb were available and they've got a relatively full, healthy offensive line. and Basically, their full collection – and if for some reason the Pats are down, like both their guys or yeah. say Stevenson, like clears protocols, but man, it's late in the week. And, you know, the risk of uh, putting a guy out there who could have a recurrence, you know, mm-hmm. without having had some in-practice contact to kind of work his way up to make sure that you're good. Many cobwebs and things like that after you recover from that particular injury. Like I, I could see a situation where the COVID clearance thing, once you get over that hurdle, good, you're ready to go. Uh, the concussion stuff is just that you passed it and you're, you're cleared to do it, but are you ready to go risk a really high contact position? A couple of them at that spot, it just sucks. The timing of it is really terrible. Um, The one thing I will say though, is it it doesn't, and people get real sensitive about this topic, at least on Twitter and my feed anyway, but (laughs) by virtue of saying that Brandon Bolden can come in and basically not miss a beat, is not saying that Brandon Bolden is the new Damian Harris and you know or, or Stevenson necessarily, but I think their their back depth and their ability at least for a week or two to do a facsimile of what they otherwise would is really really high. I think Brandon can come in and get 15 carries and be similarly successful on all those carries as the other two guys would have been. And JJ Taylor, at least with the screen stuff and maybe back in the flat and explosive third down back element kind of thing, maybe not a protection, but at least in some sort of usage can provide you three or four plays that might be comparable to what Stevenson could. The difficulty gets in if they can't pull either Harris or Steven uh, Stevenson also up, um, yeah. it gets a little scary thin to only really have two up on game day. Uh, and uh, man, I, you'd hate to think that the third is there with a, cleared head but that hasn't really tested it yet you know because that that's scary just from a, a personal standpoint but that's a really long-winded way to say i don't think we really can tell what you're going to get with the offense until i know who's playing and if i don't know who's playing it, it's a nervous it's a nervous vote of confidence for the patriots because of how dependent they've been upon that that part of their game but i think they're a better team um i think this uh but i don't know if we're going to get to see that better team this weekend and that's, that's probably where my reticence sort of lies. Completely understood. Matt, thanks again for joining us today. Tell people where they can see you. I know you're continuing to break stuff down for Nesson on After Hours, but you're also on Twitter. Let people know where they can see you, read you, hear you, all that kind of stuff. Yep, Nesson. Uh, we're on, what is it, four or five nights a week. It depends on, I wish I could tell you, hey, just tune in at this time. But, you know, we're a, baseball's over now, but we're a hockey station as well, obviously. So, I'm often in the evenings and after hours or in your morning when you're having your cup of coffee there on Nesson and uh, on Twitter at Chatham. 
Matt, thanks again for joining me, man. I really appreciate you doing this. This is a, a great opportunity. This podcast has been a great opportunity for me to connect with guys and be able to talk to guys whose opinions I really, really respect. And we go back a long ways, man. And you are one of the single, single smartest guys in the game. It's been a lot of fun to talk to you. My pleasure, bud. Thanks for having me on. Thanks again. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.